Hey, everybody. This is the Between You and I Bad Grammar podcast, and you're listening to episode 20. I'm here with my cohort, Ryan. And today we have my friend, Becky Harbine, and we are going to deep dive into so many things about uh, midlife, um, substance abuse, trauma, um, ayahuasca it's all really light uh, we, stuff yeah it's all light <laughs> stuff yeah if you yeah if you need a healing this is the podcast for you and, and this um yeah i can't even say it's so much stuff it's stuff i love it's my jam it's important for everyone and so um yeah take a listen i hope you like it please subscribe if you like what you hear and if you have any questions leave a comment um, or you can message me on Facebook Messenger at Carrie M. Ocri. It's A-K-R-E. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to the Between You and I Bad Grammar podcast. Um, this is number 20. 20! Va. <laughs> what is it in Spanish? Okay, I want to. Vente. Yeah. Vente. You should know See, from oh, Starbucks. Yeah. yeah. I know. Vente. That's right. Um, romance languages. I should know that. Okay, it's number 20. I'm super excited. So today um, on the podcast, I have invited my longtime friend, Becky Harbine, who we knew each other in high school, right? So it wasn't junior high, it was high school. Um, and we've reconnected several times. And recently, um, we caught up with each other. I think we've probably said this a couple times, but definitely now with the podcast, we commune a lot on like midlife. You know, we when we get together again, it's always like, how you been or what's going on or how's life for you and how do you feel? You know what I mean? So we um, recently we were kind of talking about midlife and what midlife means and what happens in midlife or things that come up in midlife. And um, uh, several things that have kind of re- repeatedly stood out for me is um, the fact that midlife is just one of those other times where like all of your shit can come up again and you have the chance to um, heal it, visit it, get to know it better or the difference in what your life is like now with all the responsibilities and and um, the topic of substance abuse, you know, that that people who never had an issue all of a sudden find themselves like drinking too much wine or they realize, oh, this actually started much uh, farther back or in my childhood, whatever. Anyways, we've just ended up having all kinds of conversations. And finally, in one of our talks, I was like, wait, what? this is the podcast. We need to have you on the podcast (laughs) because these topics I think are big. They're um, fascinating to me. I don't feel like people talk about midlife. I mean, I know there's books out there and things like that, but I so clearly see midlife as a real thing. And I say a lot, midlife is not like a red Corvette, buying a red Corvette or whatever. I think I was going to do. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just for men. I don't know. (laughs) But I think it's a real thing and um, all kinds of things can come up, even a natural sense of oh, something's not working anymore. I need to change. And th- like that comes up a lot in um, when I'm working as a life coach. And so a lot of my clients, that is why they're there. All of a sudden they're feeling like, oh, something's not working anymore. Or wow, I just hit really burnout on my job. Anyways, so 
I, I always go, oh yeah, you're right on time. You know, like how old are you? Yep. Like that's normal. That's you're not lost and welcome to midlife. <laughs> so Becky, um, welcome. And thanks for being on the podcast. How are you feeling today? <laughs> Thank you for the nice little intro. Um, I'm feeling good. I've, already this morning, I've gone through multiple stages of different emotional states. <laughs> it's constant. Nice. Um, uh, I'm good. Yeah, I'm really good. happy to be here and having this conversation with you. And one thing you just said about the midlife that just struck me right away was like, for me, it felt like a lightning bolt, like when it hit me and, and, uh, and just like, like this stunned, almost like a stunned surprise. Like, why the fuck did no one ever tell me about this? Like, right? Really tell me about it. Not yes. like fucking jokes about dudes getting cars. And by the way, mm -hmm. that is not dealing with your shit. That is not <laughs> a masking tool. So if you're going out and buying a car, it's because you're hiding something you don't want to look at. Oh, absolutely. Right? I'm no. all of that, though. <laughs> no, I wasn't accusing you of that at all, Ryan, but I mean, it, it's a rope, right? But, yeah. but it, it is, it's a, just another coping technique look if i get this next shiny thing everything will be all right mm -hmm. right you know and there's never yeah. gonna be a shiny thing that's going to make everything all right until you go into your shit and heal yourself <laughs> yeah yep. well and so many of the coping things that i think sneak up on you um are like spending habits coping right this numbing the soothing the hit of um dopamine comes in a lot of forms right could yeah. be like or as you get older your sign of success you know you had this you don't realize it but you're like oh wow i'm really um feeling bad based on some idea of success that i didn't think i'd bought into i hadn't thought i would but now i'm feeling bad about myself or yeah there's a reason they call it conditioning Yes, right. Programming conditions that we're bombarded with from day one that we don't even realize, you know, yes. that we've bought into it, that you buy into it. It's like this unspoken consensus that we all operate within. Well, and how to live, right? Like, not only like what you should have and where you should be and what it looks like, and, but all stage, right? There's all these things yeah. that are unspoken that we've internalized like, oh, if I don't meet this benchmark at this certain point, I'm a fucking failure or whatever. Totally. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I definitely had this at about 38 and I went, you know, I lived d a few decades as an artist. Um, and then all of a sudden I really, I mean, the music, any art path has its ups and downs, but just like you said about midlife, there's so many things that I'm like, why did nobody you know, talk to me more about what this looks like. I, di I, re I didn't grow up in a family with anyone who had led like an artist's life. And so there was no education around that. Like, hey, there's going to be ups and downs. Here's how you survive it or continue on. But then I also, like you said, Becky, I don't feel like anyone talked about like, here's what midlife is or hi, here's a book on marriage or like what it really means to be married and what, will, you know, may happen. Or, I mean, there's, these are big things and there's just no direction on it. And so I, I also think that's why a lot of people are sort of like, I don't know what's happening to me. Yeah. You know, what is this? And the message we, messages we get, um, I think culturally, I mean, for sure there are authors and people putting out really good material for those of us who are ready to like dive deep into it. But a yeah. lot of the stuff that's thrown out there at people who are hitting midlife, is just platitudes and quick fixes. And, and, and I mean, I understand why people don't want to do the deep dive because it's really, it's work. It's really, yeah. really 
part to go in and starting to identify and recognize your all of your thought patterns and habitual emotional patterns and behavioral patterns and how that contributes to staying stuck, suffering, you know, all of that shit. It's painful because it requires you to let go of all these things you thought you believed about everything, yeah. yourself, yeah. about your relationships, about yeah. the world, you know, and we're now living in a moment where this is happening everywhere collectively, yeah. you know, and individually, all of our little tribal groups and collectively at the, on the world stage. I mean, we're really seeing the squeeze. Yeah. And it's, yeah. This is a real moment. I mean, this is a, I mean, depending on what group you're talking to, I mean, a lot of the metaphysic people in metaphysics are very like, this is on purpose. Oh yeah. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. This is, yeah. This is either like, it's a strong balance. That sounds like right. a way to say it from, you know, especially for people who are really suffering and there's no diminishment of that. Right. But nature does not fuck around. Nature doesn't give a shit what our political right. ideologies are or whether we believe in climate change. I mean, nature's going to do what nature's going to do. Exactly. We yeah. We seem to think that we have control over it and we don't. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> and for all and for all the things that are heavy on everyone, pandemic, um, you know, unrest, you know, like um, all of the topics that need light sh- on them. Um, there's also sort of a lot of messaging, depending on who you're looking at, about how, the, how what an opportunity this is. Like yeah. people are really going, because I've had to isolate, I've slowed down. I've yeah. spent more time with my family. Yeah. I, I realize I, that I don't need. Yeah, I realize I don't need to commute three hours a day working from home. I mean, companies are realizing this. I mean, think about all the huge companies who are like, yeah, we're never going back to the office. Yeah, like yeah. finally, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, be, yeah, with else. some, especially I, I, I wonder, and I'm, of course, I'm not in there right now, but it's you know, um, just the fact that there is a reexamining of what the work life can look like, or the flexibility within that, instead of this false sense of like, because I think it's bullshit because it doesn't fit everyone. Is you know, when you're at a company and there's like a culture, it's like everyone like propaganda like we're all got to buy into it and you know some of it's good intentions some of it's like yeah this is a collective not everybody functions the same way flex yeah Mm -hmm. like i don't need rah rah i don't like you know i've never like company meetings yeah yeah it just seems kind of like bullshit i'm like and treat me like an adult anyways i'm segueing that's fine yeah there's so but see i find this time has so many opportunities to um revamp change not only yourself but like everything and it right. goes back to that um un, unconscious consensus you know yeah. uh, things are a way a certain way and they've always been they've all quotes air quotes always been that way no they haven't they, maybe to us it feels like they've always been that way because it's felt static mm-hmm. but it's never actually been static there's been things changing incrementally all along the way just like it always is everywhere in nature nothing's static yeah. everything's always working towards entropy right but it's yeah. so easy for our perception to ignore that because we just see like yeah. these little slices of life and you're like oh this is how it has been and then then you hear something like, oh, well, we've had that tradition for 20 years. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And people get so attached to those things and they be, they start to feel like their identity is entwined with whatever those things are, you know, ideas or yeah. ideas. I mean, that's why, that's why there's all this drive is because people are so attached to the ideas mm-hmm. and it's real. And it's like, well, it's real because you're thinking about it and you're making it real. You could right. change what you think about the world and you could operate differently in the world and you could have a totally different experience in the world. 
Well, you know, and to your point, Becky, I always wonder too, like there's also been a hefty amount of programming to, to let you believe in like your material goods and what house you own. And, you know, like your life should look like this. And, you know, there's lots of articles around like, oh no, we've been programmed to be pretty damn numb. And this is mass disruption to that. Like you've gotten real comfy and, you know, now we, you know, with the inner, you know, now we've got social media or whatever. It's like, yeah, you've been like programmed into this spot of individualism, you know, like, and, and, and there's way too many examples that are just surface level of like, my life looks good, you know, and I have these things and life is easy and I'm consuming and I'm doing, you know, and I feel like some, I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I feel like that's on purpose, right? Like, let's get you well, I think it's functioning like this. The whole point, purpose of capitalism is to make us feel like whatever we have is not enough. So mm-hmm. that we can go out and buy more things to help us feel better about whatever yeah. we don't feel good about. Most of the time, people don't even realize what it is they don't feel good about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they don't even, they can't even put it into words. It's yeah. and constant like underlying like something's not okay and so i'm going to go do something out here which then will make that feeling go away and it makes it go away for a brief moment but it always comes back yeah and like you said like you said too like no one trains you to say like what you should do here is stop and get quiet and feel it the thing that's screaming at you that you need more and ask the question like what do you need is really is going out and buying a new pair of shoes going to make this pain go away? Yeah. Yeah. What is this really about? Like asking that deeper question, what is this really about? Because I have done those things when I, um, when I chose, when I had that moment and I, like you said, I had that moment like at 38 where I hit a wall, um, had done music, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't on a label anymore and I was making music, but I was poor and single and I wasn't married. And so that's what went through my head. I'm like, Ooh, I'm a loser because I'm 38. I'm not married. I don't have a kid. I don't have a house. I don't own anything. I mean, I really bullshit. Like, like how much you bought, bought into that concept of what you're supposed to be doing at a certain age. And, and, and you're there and you're not able to even look back at all the amazing things you had done up until. Yes. Well, For two reasons, I think one, because no one solidly taught me like what you're doing is valid. Here's why you should make it real concrete so that you have a basis from which to live. Like I went and did music, but I, I would say I flew through it, you know, right. But I didn't stop and go, Carrie, this is who you are. Let's let's really ground this sense of identity in some way that you can understand so that I could keep building off of it or live happily. Instead, I was like, oh, you know, like I did I did that for a while. And now I and I turned and went corporate and for reason. That's your path. That's how you're learning. You know, you you came to a landing point with your music stuff and you're like, all right, I feel like this is done now. What's next? You're not done, of course, but transitioning from that phase of your music life to a new phase. And yeah, that's, it's, we all go through that, you know? Well, and part of it was the music industry, you don't have a lot of control. And I had, you know, decades of like kind of not being in control, especially at the end, right. With major labels. And so what I was craving was structure and control. Like, okay, so I thought in the work world, you do some things, you work hard, you succeed, you get something, you, you win, you know, right? Yeah. Um, 
and I guess I was really craving that. I know we're all laughing like, yeah, sure. It does. The illusion uh-huh. of it anyways. Yeah. The illusion. <laughs> you know, I was, I woke up quickly. Um, but so that, that was in my mind. I was like, oh, I want structure. And so I very quickly like shoved myself into corporate, but it was quickly disruptive to me because to go from being an independent person doing the work having your own work that you do well to working for someone else and being in their culture, especially when it's toxic, (laughs) fucked, fucked with my head so bad. Like I went from literally, I went from feeling like a rock star to the fat girl in high school. Oh, no no offense for ladies who are heavy. Um, thing that sucks is that you bought into that mindset and you totally bought into it. Recognize your own gifts and you went straight to the negativity bias, which is a real thing, actually, biologically. We are we are hardwired as a species to be for negativity bias. There's a, a, a fellow a researcher named Rick Hansen. He, he researches happiness and the nervous oh. system. And, um, and I'll send you links to all this stuff. There's, I've just been deep diving into all this stuff. And the negativity bias, and it's a survival thing because yeah. we're, we're looking for threats. And it's this thing that it's like we haven't evolved out of it yet. And it, it, what with the development of our prefrontal cortex, the executive functioning part of our brain, it, um, it just gets, goes into overdrive with the negativity bias, always planning for what's wrong and things that are good. And actually the, what you can train your brain to start being more paying attention to the positives by it's 20 seconds. So when you have something happen that and you, and you feel and you're aware like, oh, I feel joyful right now. Like my dog just wagged its tail or licked my face and I, I have this feeling of warmth and joy. Recognize it, stay with it, hold it for 20 seconds. If you do it okay. for 20 seconds, you start your neurons start firing and, and wiring, laying down. Well, I think but everybody can do 20 seconds. Right? Everybody can do 20 seconds. That's why they say like when you give someone a hug, when we're able to hug each other again, hug <laughs> <laughs> 20 seconds. And like relish it because that starts making new pathways in your brain to get you out of the constant tipping into the negativity bias. So Right. And it takes slowing down and being still, right? Like you said, be with it. Mm-hmm. Be with it. And I most mean, of us uh, know how to do that because we're also hardwired to react. So there's a stimuli. We we experience it. We have a somatic reaction in our body. And then we have the ego function that reacts to what we're experiencing somatically. And then we usually get stuck in the ego reaction and we're not able to step outside of that and go, I'm in pain and I'm freaking out about it, but I'm okay. Right. We get stuck in the reactive place. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, right. And, you know, and at the time, you know, at that time, a lot of things changed in my life. Like I eventually, I had, uh, panic attacks. I've never had panic attacks. I had to get on medication. Um, I also was just in a dark, dark place. Like I was working hard, drinking hard. Uh, I've never been in such a dark place. Um, and then I started getting chronic panic, um, and had to get on, um, citalopram. And, but then I also met my husband to be and in like a year and a half was like married and had a kid. So although that's wonderful, that was fast. And yeah. I, I had like a part two. Yeah. Then I was like, wait, now, <laughs> now I've had a kid that changes your body. Uh, now I'm a house, you know, like a, not a housewife, but like a wife, I'm a partner, I'm cleaning house, like all sorts of yeah. other stuff. And it was so 
my whole identity, I just didn't know how to handle like, who am I now? Yeah, that whole identity thing is a trip, how we're constantly trying to create the narrative and the image of ourselves ref- and reflect yeah. on ourselves. Yeah. And, and that's trying to fit in that, you know, our square peg in the round hole all the time. It's like, I got to be like these other folks, right? You yes. Exactly. You don't, but you don't know that. Well, and we're conditioned to, to think we have to because it's not okay to be exactly who you are. Right. I mean, that's right. we're getting, whether it's not, it's not, um, overt like that, but they are covert. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Um, well, and there's something about, I don't, I don't know what you think, Becky, but there's something about the slowing down and being in it too. When you're in these transitions and maybe you don't quite, you know, when you don't slow down and really, really slow down or actively be like, all right, what, what is happening and what do I think about that? And who am I again? You know, it's it hard to do, I guess, when you're feeling you have all depression or other things going on, right? There's just, I'm trying to look at like the state of feeling truly lost, like mentally lost and, you know, trying to do something healthy within it. I guess you could do place is also the fertile place. Yes, it's true. All the research shows that if you can stay in that place of feeling lost and not knowing and suspend the desire to propel forward towards something, yeah, you can you can contemplate and you can have a, you can ask question, open ended questions of yourself. But the longer we allow ourselves to stay in that place of unknown, it's when the deeper knowledge that we all carry can start to bubble up. I mean, it's like you talk about, you know, the retreats, you get quiet, and you ask yourself open ended questions. It's kind of amazing the wisdom that will come up. Totally. If you stop thinking about it. It really requires a cessation of thinking about it and just yeah. ask a question, go quiet. You'll be amazed. <laughs> I mean, well, and you and I've talked therapy all the time with my therapist, these somatic exercises and tapping into, you know, an old, an old feeling from an old trauma and like going back to that memory and feeling and feeling the, the triggering activate in my body. Yeah. And then staying with that and asking questions while I'm feeling it, and lo and behold, amazing insights of self bubble up. And it's just, it's so cathartic. It is yeah. so cathartic to yeah. have this like, oh, about totally. a behavior you've been tripping over for your whole fucking life and realizing just something. It's like magic. It really is like magic. But you yeah. have to be willing to go to your pain places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's why I recommend that's- meditation because like it kind of yeah. helps you yes. focus on those things. There's a lot yes, of noise yeah. when you get started because you're like, ah, oh, I suck at everything, that but then painful, work it out. But yeah. it's also so valuable. Mm-hmm. Well, so I love that you bring up meditation in this too. Like Becky, we've talked about, and Ryan, I've, I've maybe mentioned to you. So in my focus in when, I, when I'm doing life coaching and the workshops I'm offering are all about the practice of getting still and silent in order to connect with yourself. Or I also say like your intuition or your gut. Um, because I believe like, you're just saying like all the answers are in here, but you have to slow down, get still and quiet to hear it. And so I do workshops uh, practicing these things. And the key things are to get, sit, get silent or meditate, um, move from your head to your heart Mm -hmm. because lots of people are like thinking the shit out of everything and And they're going fast. You want to go. It's hard, right? You operate from that heart. It's way harder because you're more vulnerable and, but you're open to so much more. 
And you're connecting back to yourself. You're trusting in yourself, which helps you feel calmer. And I think it's magical to maybe be realizing like, oh, I have all the answers. Mm -hmm. Like they're all right here. You're not lost. If you would just listen, notice, trust. Trust is a big thing, right? And and feel it like, you know, when you feel it. Yeah. Yeah. So really teaching people about intuition and how real it is. Like, look, how does that feel? Does it feel right or wrong? And I always mention, you know, there's a bunch of books on that, but like Martha Beck's book, Steering by Starlight. And she talks in the book about when you're going to make a decision, her thing is like, does it feel shackles on or shackles off? Right. And if people could stop and go, does that feel good or bad? Like I had a client the other day and we were talking about something. I'm like, she's, she's an incredible worker, but she, you know, that she's been all up in her head. And so I'm like, she was talking about jobs she doesn't want anymore, but it's what she knows how to do. And so she can easily go back there. And I'm like, okay, put yourself, you got, you, you took one of these jobs again, put yourself there, sit there. Do you feel good or bad? Like, and she's like, well, I and like, no good or bad, feel it. And she was like, I hate it. And I was yeah. like, that, that's all you need to know. Be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, you might be scared because you're like, well, what am I going to do for money? And I'm like, well, let's sit and think about that. Yeah. Because my other thing, too, is like people don't realize that like I'm, I'm not some people do, obviously, but um, that life can go down in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to go down in this prescribed way. We're told like you could work 18 million jobs. That's fine. Doesn't have to be one career. You could plan for six months. You know, like you don't have to be deciding forever. Right. But that also requires people to consciously be living uh, from a place of um, the unknown. Yeah. Amen. Right. I mean, it's uh, and that's really hard to do. I mean, scary for it, a lot of folks. Yeah. It's super scary. I mean, and it's why most people don't do it. I mean, I'm, I'm exactly in that place with my work. And I, I'm fortunate in that I never had to work in the corporate world. I've worked in nonprofit at Fred Hutch for yeah almost 25 years now. And, um, it's my golden handcuffs. I mean, I love, I love the culture. I love the group I work with. I love the individual people. I love the mission, but I cannot stand the fucking work. I don't want a data spreadsheet anymore. And it's, you know, and, and for me, uh, it's been always been about, well, I'm carrying all the health insurance for the family. And and now that Mm -hmm. my son is about ready to launch, I'm like, oh, okay, this is the time now where I get yeah. to start really like going back to what Becky is and what Becky yeah. wants and like recognizing like, oh, I've been in this family raising thing for the last almost 20 years. And I'm like super ready to slough it off and be yeah. my self again and launch yeah. out, and go do crazy ass things that might seem scary to my husband, but I'm going to do it. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always tell people too, like you could take a long time you could take the time while you're working to do all the meditative work to find the answer. It yeah. doesn't have to be that you rip the cord and you're out in space. No, yeah. It doesn't. That's the yeah. worst thing to yeah. do, really. It's like, it's good to right. have a safety net. Utilize that to then move on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Move when you got the answer. Like, yeah. it's okay. Maybe your lesson right now is just to start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the beginning is to sit and contemplate, what would I like? What do I like? And just sit there for good, sit there for a year. You know what I mean? Like get, get to know yourself so you can get that answer. Um, as opposed to like quit your job and now you got to figure it out in that space. Yeah, like, you don't have to rip the bandaid off. No. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that is stressful and it's not necessary, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it's interesting. I, you know, one of the things we had talked about too, out of, um, 
what's easy to do, I think, in these moments in life and with, you know, when you just, like you said, you get in the state and you're not even sure what it is. You're just like, something's not working. Um, you know, we started talking about all the ways you can numb yourself. And I definitely like shopped to excess, <laughs> like my dopamine hit. I would say yeah. shoes, probably I'll admit shoes, right? <laughs> like, Oh yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah. And, and like literally no kind of, well, not kind of no joke. Like I, I know it's the same response I have also to wine. Um, I'll, I'll, I think I've had this forever. I will kind of obsess on something I don't need. Right. Or that's not even good for me, but I am, I am, um, hooked. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'm hooked and I'm, it's a weird, it's a moment of, I'm like, wow, you're doing it here too. In order to feel good when I'm uncomfortable, it is completely that. Yeah. 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 That's been my, that's been an ongoing thing for me too. I mean, I've, I've really kicked the, the daily full bottle plus right. <laughs> wine yeah. I had going on for at least 20 years. Um, you know, and it took, it was about an 18 month program I went through and it was, it was an amazing program. It's called a positive alternative. It's in, it's in the Fremont area at the Good Shepherd Center. They do amazing nice. work and it's, it's mindfulness based. I mean, I think that's why it worked. It's, it's all about meditation and looking in and finding about like, what is it about drinking that you think you need? Why do you, yes. you know, and you know, without judgment anyway, great program. And, but still I find still, I have these um, impulses and like towards using something, you know, and now my struggle is with weed, partly because I was having insomnia so bad when I was really uh-huh. going deep into the trauma therapy. Um, and that, you know, when you start doing that weird shit happens in your body, all kinds of stuff starts coming up that's been buried. Um, mm-hmm. and so I was smoking weed to help sleep and I'm just, I'm fucking a daily smoker now and I'm trying to back away from it. <laughs> the point is, is that there is this internal, movement that I feel in my body. It's energetic. It's a real particular flavor or tone when, and and I call it needs not met. And it feels very, feels very, very young in my system. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like if I, I actually feel like I want to make a facial expression when it comes up. Like I want to go like this, this despairing rage. It's like impotent, impotent, despairing rage that like my needs are not being met. I need something to make it go away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's very intense. And, um, you know, that was what it was always was with alcohol. And and now with weed, it's very different because one weed is so much more benign, Right. but there's also this weird thing where I find that, um, I actually learn from it. It's become a really great teacher too, because I can start seeing sometimes when I'm, I smoke, I'll dissociate a little bit. Uh huh. I can completely see the reactive self and what it's doing, but I'm not in it. And it's a trip. It's like, it's like, it's like, Oh, here's my body. And if this organism is experiencing things and doing things, and then here's the part of me that's witnessing and watching it and commenting all the time and yakety yak monkey mind and reacting to how I feel in my body. And then there's the witness thing over here, watching all of this and I'll be in that witness place. And it's fucking weird. And I'll feel like, I feel like I've taken my hands off the wheel and someone else is driving the car. And it's, so it's this really bizarre place of like learning to see aspects of myself that I don't usually get to see because I'm in it. Yeah. Another metaphor is like, if you're standing next to a little miniature tornado, the tornado is your reactive emotional ego self, but usually we're in the tornado. 
And I've been having more and more experiences where I'm standing next to the tornado. The tornado is blowing my hair. It's making my clothes flap, making my face go like this because it's intense. But I'm not in it anymore. I'm like, oh, hi, you reactive one. I can function in this space and not be terrified, even though I'm having intense anxiety. It's like the anxiety totally. is separate from how I experience it. And it's really yeah. And that's happened with weed, but since it's happened with weed, I'm having it happen more times totally sober. Where okay. some, like with my husband, we'll get into like a, we don't argue very often, but every once in a while we'll have a, something that floods us. And you know, you're in any kind of long-term relationship, you get in these entangled emotional behavioral patterns that are kind of dysfunctioning, mm-hmm. dysfunctional and, you know, uh, uh, codependent bullshit. And that's, yeah. I'm trying to rewind that stuff too. And so I'll have this moment where I'm feeling flooded and, uh, but I'm able to stay in this like calm, removed place and still feel flooded. And I'm way more capable of having a, a healthy healing conversation about topics that might be difficult and triggering for both of us. Yeah. It's really, yeah. It's really interesting. The whole coping thing. And the so, thing. What do you think then? So you mentioned too, you were sort of like, yeah, but I'm a little concerned about smoking. So what, what is the, what is it that's starting you thinking that? Is the, the recognizing the same exact impulses that I used to have when I was drinking. So how okay. Okay. like, I'm like, oh, there's that same voice needs not met. Mm-hmm. And now, now it's crying for, for marijuana. It, it's, it's kind of about like this inability to be in a state of where I am, whatever it is. It's yes. Like, I'm change my state because oh my whatever is not good enough. Yes. Whether I can so relate to that. Yeah. Whether it's distracting by going on the internet, whether it's by, you know, smoking weed, whether it's eating, you know, for, I went through a period where it's like, I had these impulses. All I wanted to do was eat, drink or smoke weed. Yeah. Because it was just a way of repressing whatever was coming up that I didn't mm. want to experience. It's like oh my day. God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but then you start seeing those impulses and you're much better able to go oh hi you what are you trying to tell me needs not met you know and it, it, i literally fucking talk to myself now i'll sometimes I'll catch myself talking <laughs> to my frightened whatever internal you know uh character that's trying to drive the car and i'm like you don't get to be in control anymore it's like the, the whole meditation thing you start seeing these movements clearly and you're less swayed by them and you start to have more authentic decision-making abilities and just your wiser self becomes more yeah. active. Right. Well, I think I love what what's key in what you said too, not only just the slowing down and being silent, but the asking yourself that question, what is this about? What, yeah. what do you, what do you need? Why, why, what's behind you needing this? Yeah. And that, I think that if people can do that, you can, that's where you can ground yourself like, oh, this is really about because I would say that hap- that that would and has happened to me with wine um, for reasons I can see. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't shame myself about it. I'm like, oh, because I think this happens to thousands and thousands of people. Um, and our, it would be like, oh, that's why I'm doing that. OK, like, yeah, I, I mean, it's a thing to go from being the captain of your ship to a whole nother life where, you know, one, you're responsible for a lot more, you're in partnership, you're having to work within another structure that maybe isn't great, maybe is. And that's different than being independent. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and, 
and just even classic things like being older and I'm tired. I have a kid and all that bottle of wine is like an instant vacation. <laughs> it's like, Oh, I don't have time to go on vacation. I don't go on tour anymore or whatever. Well, prosciutto cheese and wine <laughs> you know which yum yum but at the same time you're like oh no that's a habit now that's what you do it's kind of like italy, doing something yeah. about it yeah go ahead so, ryan what'd you so say it's kind of like being in italy but not quite the same yeah. not, not really good no well and the truth is i mean I, i'm obviously missing like you know the truth is regular drinking of anything like that then has other consequences and when you don't really play it all the way through you know, you don't see the next day, you know, or the accumulative effect on your body and all sorts of things that happen that that's just a given. Right. Um, but I love what you said about learning to stop and be quiet and go, what? And then I do think taking responsibility and moving towards do something. Right. Right. It's a process in its own right. I mean, it, it, it's, it takes so much time to move through these different stages of self-awareness and, and learning what drives us on a deeper subconscious level with like, and looking at it with compassion and not judgment. Yeah. This is a human condition. All of us have these, everyone experiences this. It's just whether or not we're aware of it and whether we're willing to engage with it. Yeah. yeah. Taking the time to reflect is so important. I mean, it's like, as if you were treating your life, like a, like you're building a house you just built it and then you were like, oh, I hate that kitchen. I'm just going to deal with hating that kitchen the rest of my life. Yeah. It's like, it's good to notice that and then fix it. <laughs> yeah. Better. Yeah. 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 I feel there's, a, there's a saying that I don't remember who some spiritual teacher is like, you're perfect exactly as you are, but there's always room for improvement. Mm -hmm. Sure. That, that kind of paradox. And it's like, it's like everything's a fucking paradox if you think about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think people deserve, well, I go way, okay, so I get real like, one, everybody deserves to recognize what works for them and who, consequently who they are, right? Like, you know, seeing yourself, knowing yourself and saying, here's what works for what I like, you know, here's what, what I'd like to do and doing something about it. But I also think it's, um, I even go a little deeper and go, it's imperative that you do that. That if you believe everyone here has something to contribute it's imperative that you get to figuring that out so you can share what you have to bring here. Right. Cause yeah. I think even if it's just taking good care of your family or following your, you know, that has ripple effects. It doesn't have to be like, you've come here to be a healer or a per yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's like, no, just your best self. It yeah. Really big. Sometimes it's the real subtle, small things that have profound effects. If you yeah. settle down enough to actually become aware of them and a truly happy person has a ripple effect i mean mm -hmm. that happy person will then go be or talk to or touch another person and la 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 i mean it's it's the long game we are not trained to live yeah it's all like. about short-term quick fixes mm -hmm. give it yeah. to me <laughs> yeah i'm really excited i i all of a sudden i had this thing like oh my god becky and i should do a week on retreat for people when we can retreat i guess we could do it online talking about really doing a workout of all this stuff and talking about it in a cohesive like where i'm hoping to move into career-wise i don't know what it's going to look like yeah i've just been doing you know re academic research shit um but you know just <laughs> my own exploration and my own yeah. therapy and my own journey is like, oh yeah, it's all, it's all about 
bringing the wisdom I've gained about how trauma and emotions keep us stuck and how do we find the ways that speak to us individually to move towards wholeness. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I don't know what that looks like yet for me, but I know it's, 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 okay. it's going to involve something creative and it's probably going to involve movement. You know, uh, physically moving is a way to keep shit. Yeah. Moving. And it's a way to release stuff. I was telling you about that, um, workshop I did the embodiment um, and yeah. trauma, releasing trauma and the, the exercises we did with gesture and, oh. and like how powerful that was. She had us do this exercise where, I mean, of course this was all online where she had each of us stand up back away from our laptop. And then she, the, the woman who was facilitating it, um, she as well stood up and said, now I want you to back up as far as you want but you know, you still have to be able to see me. And then I want you to hold your hand up and say, stop mm. do it with your left hand, do it with your right hand, do it with both hands and then pay attention to what you feel in your body and then come closer to the, to the, to me and the screen and do it again and do that and come up as close as you want to. And all it was, was a simple gesture. And immediately I felt rage yes and deep grief and also this like profound relief of finally being given permission to lay a fucking boundary down that i had never been able to do before and this was totally. one exercise right and i've been working really hard on this stuff for three years and i thought i was kind of done with this gross level <laughs> pain and just doing this simple gesture i was like oh there's still more <laughs> like, oh, okay i've been going through the really obvious grief stuff and now i'm touching in the unexpressed rage because women aren't yeah. allowed to be angry and, oh my god yeah and so movement for me anyways is a really strong way of tapping into some of this primal stuff that we're carrying around that we don't that we're not allowed to express because of our cultural conditioning you know what's funny? I think that's dead on. Like, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody about like, oh, uh, I was talking about a workshop and it was a circle of women doing a workshop and and it was really lovely and it was supportive and um, cherishing yourselves and all that. And I remember saying like, I don't feel like I need that. I feel like I have a rage. Yeah. Like I ha if, if I was honest, I wouldn't even say it makes sense, but like I have rage on the inside because you know you're just trained to be so polite and and uh libra-esque and all sorts of things um where if in certain situations or with my thoughts or my reactions to something um if i took the bridle off on something it would be a long-standing like fucking fury like rage yeah. like well, just and, and that takes me to a, a thing I wanted to share. Um, you know, I had mentioned earlier about that, that uh, video of the trauma release. Um, Peter Levine, the researcher, he, he uh -huh. founded the somatic experiencing um, going into trauma. And he started by researching animals and then went into humans and was like, whoa, animals and humans process threatening events very differently. Um, but going to what you're saying about the rage, you know, we have the three responses to threat, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. And um, rage 
is such a great place to be when you're finally able to touch it, because what that does is it it puts you into the fl- into the fight mode, which allows you to finally move past the stuckness with any trauma. I'm speaking specifically if you sure. if a person has trauma, mm-hmm. and and some people who never are able to experience their anger, they're stuck in the freeze part. Yeah. Fight, yeah. Fight or, freeze. or the flight, they're running away. Rage allows you to look at the thing head on and like, go oh, fuck no, I'm done with this shit. And it's where your power comes from. Yeah. You know, it can also be, it can also get toxic, you know, right? Um, sure. That's the way you don't want to go with it. Yeah, you don't want to hulk okay. out, but you want to temper right. that <laughs> for the healthy side. You want to channel it into healthy action that that is healing in some way yeah you know what's um because not not, i i know it's a general say like women really get trained to do this but i remember my family um, which was highly scandinavian i mean i remember my mom saying like anger oh tisk tisk like anger was unnecessary or like "Mm, too much like there's a lot of that a lot of like no 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 we don't get angry you know um Oh, we and, just swallow it all. We just swallow it all. And we all get cancer later. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but that also, I mean, like, I think to what you're saying, that also stunts your development in terms of being able to express your opinion or defend yourself, even if it, you know, to become a person who could calmly say, I don't agree or no, you know, like, so you become this kind of I don't want to say broken thing, broken thing that like either doesn't speak at all, which I, I mean, I always say if someone had met me in my twenties, vastly different lady than today, like, <laughs> you know, like if someone was mad, I never spoke. I literally didn't speak because I was so afraid. I one, I was so untrained to have my own personal opinion that if, if conflict came up, it was felt, it seemed like it felt safer to say nothing because I didn't know in my mind, I was like, if I open up this can of worms, I will not know how to verbally um, explain myself and defend myself. And I had so much experience with people going, what are you saying? You make no sense. Oh, God. I mean, all the time. And so it was just sort of like, I just would feel. Um, they must have been really stupid then. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I always felt like you say what you need to say really well. <laughs> well. I'm 54 now, so I worked really hard at that. (laughs) But I would say early in bands and things like that, you know, in your 20s, everybody's, you know, you're having to do a group effort or you're in a relationship. You know, these are all the um, growing grounds, right, of where you learn to do that. There was plenty of times where I I did not handle things well. I didn't handle them at all. Um, And instead of because, you know, I just at that time didn't know how to say, hey, this isn't working for me and here's why. Yeah, because myself was never not validated grown, you know, in some yeah. ways when when you are. OK, I'm going to get into a whole nother thing. This is why I sort of feel like parenting, parenting where you're really able and can or look at your kid and say, who are you is huge to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's huge. But to me, I'm like, I in some ways didn't feel fully seen I think my parent you know meant well or all that kind of stuff but like to be fully seen means you could be fully developed yeah you uniquely as yourself and then you could be more of you and bring more to the table and function better and all of these things um but when you know I get you know and I believe like parents do the best they can or they they have their own pile of stuff but regardless I'm like 
I look at my kid and he knows I look him dead in the eye and I say, I see you and you be you. You're great. Don't be rude to me, but I'm like, you're great. I I also remember like in bands, um, I'd say in goodness, like developmentally, my, my personal development, it was really important for me in that band to start speaking up. Like if I was unhappy or I didn't like how someone was acting, like that was a big act for me to say, Hey, at all, just to say, Hey, what's the deal here? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And it, it, but what was interesting, and I'm not sure if you've ever felt this when you started to grow, uh, my getting a stronger voice caused reactions. Oh yeah. And so, not just from yeah. men, from women. Yeah. People who are general, I think just in general, people who were just uncomfortable with anger. I mean, I got told I had an anger management issue because I stood up and said, hey, I don't, your behavior is unacceptable. And, you know, like, oh, God, Carrie, calm down. I mean, instantly. Yeah. So, right. So in some ways, then you go into this other, like, I mean, that layers up anger, whatever, when you're having to fight for your voice. Right. And, and, you know, like, it's almost like at some point I got to unvalve and be like, you motherfuckers, like, yeah. well, I will have I mean, a goddamn voice. Right. Well, the, the people who are throwing that back, though, it's, it's about them, you know, and the, the, yeah. the lesson that we have to learn is that as individuals is that we, we find our threshold, we find our boundaries eventually when we stop being mealy mouthed about it and we start laying them down with healthy language Mm-hmm. when at all possible mm-hmm. and people who have been used to that boundary either non-existing or being you know much further close yeah. they take it personally and the, there's a point where we where I know I have gotten to as I've been doing this in my relationships um laying down that boundary and sometimes it elicits a reaction but that reaction is their deal it has nothing to do with me right their reaction right. their reaction and learning how to not step into the reaction with that person is really hard yeah you have to and the way to do it i'm still learning i mean and, oh, and of course i'm practicing forever because that's the one i you know in pandemic living it's kind of hard <laughs> my son and a handful of coworkers, but um, and he's, he's game, thankfully, you know, he's an awesome human being in his own right. So I feel very fortunate because I could be married to someone who would not be cool about that stuff, but it's just been interesting to see how it has yeah. forced both of us to step back from positions that we didn't even realize we were entrenched in. And we've actually gotten much um, kinder to each other about stuff. And we recognize now when we're like flooded and we're yeah. trying to have a conversation and one of us will recognize it before the other and yeah. we'll be like, let's just stop right now. And then we'll yeah. separate for a bit and then it's fine. And it's weird. It's like, we'll have these moments and we don't, it doesn't like simmer and yeah. hang around anymore. It's like, oh, that happened. We were frustrated with each other. It's all good. Sounds we know right. each yeah. other. We know we're going through this transition in our relationship because we're both in midlife. We're both transitioning identities. And what the fuck is this about? Why am I here? Is this all it is? Fuck. It's got to be better. I'm going to make it better. But that also requires all the work. Um, What I love about that. forced him to start doing it. Yes, right. It's like you said, my doing it meant that I was removing myself from these habituated codependent patterns. And it threw him for a loop, poor guy, for a while. 
you know, he had to step up and do a bunch of stuff that he was not used to doing to, um, mainly because I was such an emotional wreck when I first started the drinking program and like all the grief was coming up that had been yeah. repressed for my whole fucking life. And just, I was, I was, I was like in bed by seven o'clock every fucking day, exhausted. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. so anyway, my point is, it's just like, it, it, it does ripple and, and the person you're laying down that boundary with or having that push and pull of the conflict their response is their response. You are right. you're not, not responsible for how someone else receives what's happening. Well, that's, I think that's such a, I mean, I really commend you both for I just being who you guys are because I mean, marriage is two separate individuals coming together. Right. And everybody's got their own pocket of stuff. And that's, I do think that's the difficult, I guess I shouldn't say difficult with that, whatever. Uh, it takes an effort to not only well look it only it takes an effort just to grow as yourself right right then you then you get in a partnership and I'm not responsible for what my husband does or how he grows you know what I mean like that ultimately is really on him so I mean it makes me look at marriage and go like how does anyone survive not survive marriage but like that's difficult that's tough yeah yeah, it takes two people Yeah, Yeah. it takes two people, but you can't like, that's a real trust walk too. So it's like, um, how do you remain a partnership, allow yourselves to individually grow and then, you know, see and understand with compassion each other's things and maybe why, but also encourage the individual growth. Like that's a bouquet of like work. That's a D, you know what I mean? That's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. Um, once you kind of both get to that point where you're like, where you see it, you're like, this is valuable, mm -hmm. It's difficult, but it's valuable. And I mean, when you think about it, there's nothing that's worthwhile that comes easy when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, most things that we find to be worthwhile require some level of effort. And usually we're like, yeah, I want to do it. And, you know, and then when you don't want to do it, there's like some resistance going on. And then that's where you start like, well, I don't, what's going on? What, what's the resistance? You know, that's what I'm working yeah. through now is like, I feel like I've overcome a lot of the gross, gross level shit of my, you know, baggage. And now it's all the subtle stuff. It's hard, yeah. hard, just harder to see. Um, but it's there. Yeah. <laughs> Becky, do you care if we talk about that? Like go into what, um, I mean, obviously not in, obviously not in detail, but, um, your journey, do you, do you mind talking in some fashion talking about it? Because you've done so much work and you have so much, um, great insights that I think somebody else might need to hear. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll just do a quick rundown. I mean, I started the, the drinking program. I started in 2017. It really was, um, my mom passed from cancer in 2014 Mm -hmm. and, at that point, I had been in and out of therapy for a number of years um, for depression. I'd had to be on depression medication starting in my late 20s and started having anxiety and, well, you know, kind of the stuff you were mentioning earlier when you went mm-hmm. into corporate world. And, and these were things that I never really experienced when I was younger. And all of a sudden, in my 20s, it was coming up. And um, and the drinking became a habitual thing. It was no longer like going out to see shows or what when we would play shows, when we were still playing shows. And it just became a daily thing. And for a long time it was fine and it was a non-issue. And then all of a sudden I was like, I am having troubles with this. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that like craving and, and all that stuff. And so 
after my mom passed in 2014, it was very unexpected and it happened very quick and it just tore the rug out from under me in so many ways mm-hmm. and my family of origin. And um, I, at that point, I was really like recognizing like, oh yeah, I'm using, I'm using booze to cope right now. It was, yeah. I was co- totally aware of it. And I was, I was on board. Um, mm-hmm. but I also knew like it was not healthy. And in my mind, it was going to be a short term like yeah this is just a sort of sh- just to get me through this period of grief right. um and then we also had my father who had al- had alzheimer's um and the plan was that my mom was they're going to move into assisted living and she was going to be his caregiver and so that was gone and we had to like scramble yeah. with my dad um and so that was like really like kind of the starting point of the transformation even though i didn't realize it at the time mm-hmm. um you know fast forward to 2016 the fucking election happens it's like like, that was when shit really started going south like for me in terms of drinking and just just like barely in control of it and like okay i am gonna i'm gonna hurt myself or i'm gonna hurt my son or somebody so i i went into this program and um um it was brutal the first three months in that program It's a, it's a three month group therapy, seven hours a week, every week for three months of intense, intensive group therapy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was, um, mindfulness based and meditation. And they use a lot of tools that are um, mindfulness based, you know, meditation practices for recognizing when we're, when we're triggered to drink, when that voice comes up and just, just all of the learning to recognize all of the habits of thought like self-criticism and, you know, everything, not good enough, all this stuff that each human carries around, whether we realize it or not, and how much it drives behavior. Yeah. So once that started happening and I started like going, oh, look at that. Look at how much I'm grasping or avoiding something that, and the narrative I've created about it. And and so I just started having this, it was kind of like dominoes. Like I started Mm -hmm. seeing all these things about myself that were happening internally at the level of thought and in feeling it in my body. And it was it, like, I woke up, I feel I'm like, I've been sleeping my whole fucking oh, wow. life. And I literally woke up. I, I had like an awakening. People call it the spiritual awakening, whatever the hell you want to call it. But I didn't know what it was for many, many months. And I was freaked out. I was crying every day. Like every fucking day I would have, <laughs> at least two or three just hardcore sobbing, sobbing, like grief racking sobs. Mm-hmm. And I was incapacitated. I really was incapacitated. I took a six week leave of absence from work. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so it was just really intense. And this was when like my husband had to kind of step in and start taking care of things that he'd never had to do. Like, you know, paying bills, going grocery shopping, making food, all this stuff. Um, but I was such a wreck that he, he was just in care mode, you know, he was, right stellar human being, no complaints, you know, such a good guy. Um, and so I, I was still, you know, in this program and still struggling with really wanting to drink and just like, man, and I had been reading for a few years off and on, um, about ayahuasca and I'm like, okay, I really want to try this plant medicine. What is it? And, Mm -hmm. you know, throwing the intention out there, but not knowing anything about it and how I could ever find anybody who would do it. And those instances where, where I see all the time now, but at the time I didn't really believe it, where you, you put the intention out there and the universe will bring it to you. Right. And it has been my experience ever since I've like 
kind of grokked that concept. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, it's actually a thing. Yeah. You really put your intention there and you start like honing it. It will come to you somehow. You don't get to control it. You just right. let it happen. So anyway, so I had been during this time, I had been deep diving into all kinds of like, uh, you know, Buddhist material and um, consciousness research. So I dove into the research of Stanislav Grof. Mm-hmm. And he was he's one of the early LSD research, researchers in the 40s before it got criminalized. Um, uh, and he did a whole bunch of LSD studies. And then later he developed this thing called holotropic breathwork, which is a way to put you in a non-ordinary state of consciousness without ingesting a substance and it's a type of breathing where you breathe you breathe really deeply in and out in this circular motion so there's no you're kind of hyperventilating a little bit so there's no pause at the top and bottom of your breath and you wear i you wear blinders so you're in the dark and then there's a loud loud music playlist to facilitate your arc of your journey while you're doing this breath work and so i went and did a holotropic breath work workshop um up in in the ballard area there's an old church that's been converted into i think it's like a universal unitarian they do all kinds of cool shit there and so i did this workshop there and lo and behold there was a gal there who (laughs) had been doing ayahuasca um at a private home in oregon and Mm -hmm. we connected she gave me the information i connected with the woman in oregon and and went down there and over the course of six months did um three weekends of Friday and Saturday ayahuasca sessions. And wow. um, it like everything that I had been kind of tapping into with the alcohol program and that was bubbling up the, the plant medicine just like turned the trickle into a fire hose. Wow. So all of this like repressed subconscious material started coming up and um, it kind of actually tipped me into dysregulation in the sense that I was, it, it put me into PTSD because oh. all this repressed terror from the multiple, multiple mini traumas that I had, all, all of which in, involved alcohol and, um, and sex. And, and it's hard for me to even say that I was raped. I'm not even sure if I was raped because each individual time I was drinking and I was unable to give consent and, you know, it wasn't always penetration, but there was, there was a line that was crossed. And mm-hmm. I was these moments where I'm like, oh, I'm loaded here. I do. Uh, here I am again. Some motherfuckers on me and I mm-hmm. can't go out and yeah. internalizing all that, all that. Yeah. So I have many, many, many episodes of that. And my, my, um, nervous system response was freeze. And that has been my, my pattern. And so I started seeing all of these all these emotional patterns and experiencing it in my body in ways that I had never experienced it before. Cause I had booze to squash. <laughs> you know? And um, it just became so intense and stuff started happening with my body that I had no ability to understand. I had mentioned this to you when we spoke on the phone mm-hmm. weeks ago, but I had this period of about four months where every single morning I would wake up and the minute I was aware that I was awake yeah, my body would be flooded with terror and like that feeling of doom, like oh. something horrible is about to happen. Wow. And, but it was somatic. I mean, it, it, there was no thoughts. I'm not like laying in bed going, oh, something. It was like it, it happened first yeah. in my 
body and then would bubble up to my mind like what is the shit in my body and then it's and then as soon as and then i don't know that would happen you know i'm laying in bed and within a few minutes i'd have to jump out of bed and i'd have explosive diarrhea mm-hmm. <laughs> and then after that i would um have dry heaves and retching that come wow. up for 10 to 20 minutes and then after the retching was done i would have I would find myself in this extreme state of psycho-emotional agony. Wow. Where some, where I literally, and in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I was, in, I was in my freeze, my fight, fight or freeze state. Mm-hmm. I was reliving that freeze state from every single moment where I had been, you know, molested or whatever, and I was frozen and just dissociating from my body, so I could get through the event. Yeah. In hindsight, now I'm like, oh, I was just reliving all of that terror that was never fully released. Yeah. That sounds hard. Um, (laughs) It was intense. And there were a couple of times when I was like on the floor in the bathroom, my husband's still in the bedroom asleep. And I had to call, I had to like holler at him to come get me because I literally could not stand up. I was doubled over just in pain. And and then when I was in that place of like the psycho, uh, psycho emotional, agony i would have these like my body would start to like twitch and convulse mm-hmm. and all this weird shit that was happening and the first like couple months of this there was so much terror in reaction to what was happening that i was adding layers of suffering onto the process itself and the amazing thing is that the more it went on i began to i knew it was going to happen and i began to welcome it mm. Morning, I would say, "Oh, hello. Are we doing this again?" Even though I wasn't looking forward to it. And then finally, there was one morning where I'm like, "Fuck yeah, let's get it. I'm purging some shit that needs to get out of here. Let's go in and dry heave the shit out of this bitch." <laughs> <laughs> and I just went into it with a different attitude, and I'm like, "I'm clearly releasing something that my body has been holding for me until I was ready to release it." Yeah. And the gratitude that I had, like, thank you, body, for all, all that you've been holding for me my whole fucking life, just so I could function and be yeah. a and go to work every day. And, and now I'm at a point where I can allow this shit to come up and out. Um, oh my God. You know, and, and, and at this point I had moved on from the uh, alcohol program and was just seeing a specific therapist for trauma. And kind of that's where I've been since. Yeah. And, um, you know, moved on past that really heavy, deep, crazy trauma stuff coming up. Um, and more now into a place of welcoming when the difficulty arises, which is every day, because I'm still in that place of like, I don't like how I feel. I want to eat or smoke or drink. And but now it's like, but I don't do that anymore. What yeah. do I do to be with that place? The, un- the, the needs not met character yeah and you know so it's like all the really heavy 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 intensity is done but now that i'm getting to the more subtler and subtler levels of the egoic bullshit that covers the authenticity yeah um it's still very difficult work but it's it feels more manageable Hmm. and i'm able able to get up and go out and do things now like for the the last three years i've basically been contracted and not doing anything yeah barely doing anything except for the things that I had to do. Do you regret uncovering any of it? Absolutely not. Right. No way. I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, cause I would imagine someone listening going, that sounds effing awful. 
Care Bear. <laughs> like, yeah. When I was like, yeah, yeah, but I bet if I asked Becky, Becky would be like, you don't understand. I would, I, I would you... any other way because yeah. the, the, the stuff that is gained is so valuable and so, so better place to be living my life from than where I was before and, a, and living in that kind of a sleep unconscious state. Do you feel freer? Way freer. Way yeah. freer. Oh my God. I cannot tell you how much freer I feel like yeah. no more, no more of this bullshit conditioning. Like I, I see it immediately and I see it when I'm buying into it and I'm immediately able to pull myself out of it and go, that's crap. Why am I doing that still? You know, it's, so right. it's, it's, it's iterative and it's like a muscle memory you're building. It's just, it's just at the level of consciousness. That is big work. Yeah. That is really big work because, you know, when you were talking about it, the right before you said, you know, after it had been, especially your body reacting with twitches and everything, what went through my mind is like, I bet somebody listening to this is going to be like, does it ever end? And that's right when you said, and then at some point, the next step was you're like, you had compassion for it. Right. right? Because it was, it was no longer a thing. I was, well, one, I had, I started having this like dual consciousness about it. I'm like one, this sucks. It's very painful on many levels. It's painful physiologically. It's painful emotionally. It's painful psychologically. Um, however, there's purpose behind it. Mm -hmm. I can't ever, ever come to wholeness until I clearly go into those places yeah. of shadow. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and we can't do it until we're able to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, right. I, mean, every, I, like, I'm, I fully believe that everything that happened to me leading up to this moment has led me to this moment. I was not able to go into that pain until I was able to go into that pain. You know, suffering is necessary until it's no longer necessary. We learn from suffering, you know. Well, and the somatic work, um, what you said about thank you to your body. Like, I don't oh, think, yeah. you know, right. Like, I, I think we feel so, um, I think some, maybe people don't realize at some point when you're so in your head, how disconnected you are from your own body. And, you know, there's definitely a lot of compassion messages about, you know, thank your body or whatever. But I'm like, oh, I don't think we realize like our bodies are working for us all the time you know what I mean and just so many ways you don't think about it yeah. just when you said thank you that's such a reconnection back to yourself with gratitude and love that's huge that's so big yeah and that was one of the insights that was probably the biggest insight from my first um ayahuasca session was really mission of how much my body has been holding the trauma and hiding it from my conscious awareness in order for me to operate and function right as best I could until I was ready to start going down those rabbit holes and then it was yeah. like oh, are you ready to see this and, and I'm like yeah I think I am and then here it is <laughs> oh, what was I doing but the other thing to what you were saying about people hearing this and going oh why would anybody do that um the ayahuasca stuff it's fascinating because it brings up the most difficult painful shit that we've repressed and then you go into this place of absolute cosmic love and unity wow. and, it, and it, it is something you feel in your body in your bones you grok it so deeply and yeah. and it was probably the, the first time 
Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, we all have our, not everybody, but I had a lot of fun with psychedelics in my twenties and, <laughs> and, um, that moment, you know, like the first couple of times you do it and you're like, whoa, everything really is connected, you know, mm-hmm. but, but back then, you know, you're just doing it for recreation, right? Good is doing it for learning. It's not for fun. Yeah. But you get the real intensive intensity of it, but then you also get the reward of like feeling so nurtured by the universe and by nature. Well, you know, when you and I were talking about it, I was like, Becky, that sounds so fucking scary to me. Like, like on the one hand, I am a, I love to, I love to learn about new things and seek it and be like, cause I want to go out there. Right. But I think due to my history with anxiety and panic, I was like, induce a state of anxiety where I'm barfing and all that scares the crap out of me literally probably and well, I was like I, I don't I want to go to terror <laughs> yeah. well I mean right and that's why people avoid it I mean mm-hmm. and um it's interesting because I still have a lot of fear that comes up on a daily basis and um uh, it's interesting now because the way I treat it is and this is actually a very newish thing and just in the last few weeks um, where when fear comes up, it's that, like what I was mentioning earlier, like I'll, I'll talk to it, but, um, I've started doing this thing where when I feel fear, I'll like, you know, I'll recognize that, oh, I'm reacting to something that's happening in my body. Cause you feel fear in your body, you know, emotions, mm-hmm. feel them in very specific regions of our body. They actually have maps that you can look at, like color maps that show you the heat spots of where different emotions are felt in our body. It's all between the gut and up to the throat. Um, yeah. It's super cool to see like when you're, when you're scared, you're going to feel it here or whatever. But um, now what happens when I'm feeling anything really intense is I'll talk to the part of me that's reacting to the somatic sensations. And I'll say, what is it that we're feeling that makes you scared? And then I'll, sit with what I'm feeling somatically and there's nothing, there's nothing that I'm experiencing that's frightening, but there's something historic Mm -hmm. in my system that interprets. It's how we interpret what we're feeling in our body. And the interpretation isn't accurate now. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. I'm looking around me. There's nothing, there's no, there's no threats here. So why do I feel threatened? And yeah. what happens with when you have PTSD, especially is you get the nervous system gets into a maladaptive response. So you're, you're kind of ex, ex, experiencing the fight, flight, or freeze yes. response all the time. Yes. And that's what I've been in the last few years. It's only been like the last three to four months where I feel like I've actually kind of come out of that. And I feel a little more normal as a human being. Um, it's exhausting work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever read the book, The Emotion Code? I haven't. It's just, it's similar. Just, um, it's a method that, uh, I'll, I'll put a link. We'll put a bunch of links in the podcast. Oh, yeah. But he, he, this guy just has a method of narrowing down what is it. And then he has a method of releasing that emotion out of your body. Right. Yeah. Um, because just the same thing, like things get stored in you. And they, they remain. They literally mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And, um, you know, 
I always, I always feel like as a deep, deep life goal, freedom is the goal, like a sense yeah. of freedom. Um, you know, sometimes I liken it to remember what it was like to be five when you just, you know, you didn't have all of the experiences and the garbage on you and the programming and everything. Yeah. And when I can imagine that state again, I'm like, that seems like the right state. Yeah. It is the right state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ideally, well, I want the state of my pets, you know, I see like a cat or a dog. Yeah. Like, they've got the life. Like, I want that. Yes. Yeah. We, that. That we come into this world when we're born as strictly sensorial entities. Mm-hmm. We experience the world through nothing except our senses. We don't have an ego formed. We don't have thoughts about things. We experience the world only through our senses. And it's, it's as we get grow into the toddler years, that's when the ego starts forming. Yeah. And so I was just, I just was, I've been reading, you know, trauma, of course, I'm like all about trauma because I'm just going into it my own and like mm-hmm. learning about it. Um, and there's developmental trauma that every single one of us has that just because by the nature of parents being human beings and not knowing how to do everything just right. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, one of the first, uh, things that can cause developmental trauma is, you know, kids who aren't cuddled and held enough. Yeah. And, and they can take that, they can take that pattern into out into their whole lives. Like babies that don't, that don't get enough nurturing. Um, they have a shutdown, emotional shutdown freeze response mm-hmm. that then follows them their whole life. Yeah. And one of the things I found super interesting the other day, I was um, watching something and they were talking about when, when you hold an infant and you know how, when you hold an infant and their eyes are gazing up at you and it's just like this pool of <laughs> like just consciousness looking out at you. There's no, there's no ego structure or anything. And, um, and, uh, and when they look away, when babies break the gaze, the reason they break the gaze is because they're overwhelmed. Yes. And they need, that's their way of having their baby meditation <laughs> is breaking the gaze and looking oh, away. Naturally. And then when they feel settled, then they'll come back and meet the gaze. And developmental trauma will happen when the adult who is holding the baby and the baby doesn't want to look at them. Like the adult will like grab the face yeah. and turn the face back or like basically not allowing the baby to have their natural response of, yeah. of you know, waxing and waning mm-hmm. in the world and interrupting that will traumatize the baby because right. they're not forced to absorb stimuli that they can't. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's I love that. I think uh, I love everything we've been talking about here, too, just because I think it potentially for anyone who needs to hear it um, can give respect to the reasons why they may be feeling something like how complex it is and that there are so many, there's no end. There is an end, but like there's so many layers that are real. Right. And so to not there's discount, not like that there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. wrong. Yeah. Nothing wrong. You're a human. This is normal. Yeah. You're, this is normal. And we're, we're conditioned and back to conditioning. We are conditioned to believe that we're not supposed to feel that way. And that when right. we feel that way, something is wrong. So that yes. just adds another layer of bullshit onto the baseline, normal human suffering that all of us experience. It's how yeah. we learn. It's yeah. literally evolutionarily how we learn is through suffering. Because if ever, everything was copacetic all the fucking time, why would we learn or change anything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a way to look at it, right? 
It's literally well, how we learn. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, Becky, we, I love all of this. I, I want to, we should put together a retreat of some sort starting online because we'll probably, you know, be in the state for a while. I would love to do that. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your experience. Um, that's a very private thing to share. Um, but so I just want to say thank you yeah, definitely. For, for, for sharing that. I really appreciate you. And I just love you a lot. Um, I'm going to get all weepy. Um, Whippy's good. Mm -hmm. Whippy's good, right? Like, who knew I'd be the one to cry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, that's right. My heart yeah. is open. Yeah. My I know. heart is huge open. Um, you, woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to tell everybody we will have a ton of links. Um, I also want to tell anyone listening if you feel like it or you have questions, please feel free to message me on Facebook Messenger. I'm Carrie M. Akri, A-K-R-E. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate. Um, I will be happy to ask Becky or answer or whatever and say like, hey, here's this. And I definitely want to talk to Becky about doing a workshop around this because there's just so many things in this uh, that are transformative for so many reasons. And that's my jam right now. That's why I life coach. That's why we talk right now. Well, it's I mean, everything. It's not like we're living in a time where everybody is feeling the squeeze. So, I mean, right. we're, it, it's, it's, again, I go back to the larger movements of the universe. I mean, it yeah. is like, it is teaching us the things that we need to learn. Like we've been yes. stuck as a species and this kind of like track and there's way more going on than what we've been doing. And we could be a lot better and a lot happier. As a well, <laughs> and from like your experience, like conflict and pain and things like that are not bad things. They're things that maybe need to come up and heal in order to transform. Exactly. Right. And then so. way, like with so much more self-love and, and like the, you can't be kind to other people's if you're an asshole to yourself. Right. I mean, you just can't. Right. Exactly. You can't. Ew. Yeah. Well said on that note. <laughs> don't be an asshole to yourself. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you. And Ryan, thank you as well. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, subscribe if you're listening on iTunes or wherever you can. We love that. If you want to send us a message uh, in the comments, we would love that too. Or, if, again, if you want more info or have a question, um, Facebook Messenger me. I would love that. But, again, thank you both. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy. Thank you for providing the safe space too to have have the conversation about these important, Absolutely. like crucial topics. I think so. Ryan, it was really lovely to meet you. Yeah, it was so. lovely to meet you Absolutely. too. Absolutely. All, All right, right. Hey, lady. We'll Bye. 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 Bye.